coming up next on Moody Presents with Dr. Mark Job. Christianity is not about behavior modification. Christianity is about changing the very essence of who you are so that your nature is altered because nature alters destiny and nature alters what we like and what we don't like. Welcome back to Moody Presents with Mark Job. He's president of Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. I'm John Geiger, and in today's message, Pastor Mark asks a significant question. Do I have what it takes? Do you have what it takes? Now, this question comes from our message series called Bullseye Living, and you can visit moodypresents.org anytime to catch up on the series. It's all about staying on target with God. Our website, again, where you can hear all those messages, is moodypresents.org. Well, how do we grow? How do we stay on target? Today, Pastor Mark demonstrates seven characteristics that need to be built into your faith. That's straight ahead on Moody Presents. Here's Pastor Mark. Christianity is not about behavior modification. Christianity is about changing the very essence of who you are so that your nature is altered and when your nature is altered then your behavior your likes and dislikes and destiny and what you want and desire are changed as well because nature alters destiny and nature alters what we like and what we don't like a lot of people have been down the road of religion and ended up very frustrated with religion because they've tried to conform to standards that aren't their own If religion could save you, Jesus would have never come. You see, the Old Testament was a bunch of rules and laws that reflected the glory of God, but the law told us, in essence, that no one could measure up to the law and that we would fail because of the law. And if you read through the Old Testament, you read through Leviticus and and numbers, and you read in Deuteronomy, there's laws about what you can eat and shouldn't eat, and what days you can do this and can't do this, and about oxen, and about your animals, and about this and that and the other. There's all kinds of rules and laws that are given there. And what the law did is the law taught us that none of us could be made right with God through religion. And that's why we had to enter into a new covenant and a new testament. And that's why Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come because religion in and of itself could not save us. And what Jesus did when he came, the Bible says that Jesus is the second Adam. Because the first Adam was born of God. And what does the first Adam and Jesus have in common? That they were both born without a sin nature. You see, Adam was born of God, created by God without a sin nature, and it wasn't until he sinned that he developed a sin nature, and ever since Adam and Eve sinned, they've passed down the sin nature to every generation after us. I don't care if you're from Asia, Africa, Europe, South America, we all are descendants of Adam, and one thing that we all have in common is that we all have been given, passed down, a sin nature. What do I mean by a sin nature? I mean that from the day you were conceived and born, there is something spiritual that is given to you, an ancestral 
spiritual element that's deposited in you. It's called the sin nature. Now, here's the thing. You are born with a sin nature. No one has to teach you to sin. It comes naturally to you. When I had my first child, I thought, this kid is like a saint. <laughs> I mean, I don't think she's going to sin until she's 14 or so, because I mean, really, I mean, look at this precious thing. I didn't have to say, honey, I know this is foreign to you. Well, I'm going to teach you how to be selfish. I'm going to teach you how to lie, because I don't think you're going to learn it anywhere. No, no, guess what? By the time she could... She was arching her back and saying her first words were, no, (laughs) mine. Well, where did that come from? I wanted to say, it must have come from her mother. (laughs) But, 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 But no, the reality is it came from the sinful nature that no one, it came instinctively to her because she was born with a sin nature and, and our nature dictates our likings and our destiny and what we do. But I believe that when a child is old enough to know right from wrong, they will naturally begin to sin because they have a sin nature inside of them. And our nature dictates what we do and gives us a propensity and a direction in something. Now Jesus bypassed human inception and was not born to a man But Mary was inseminated by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus would not have a sin nature and therefore the first Adam and Jesus have the same thing in common that both of them were born without a sin nature. We sin because it's our nature to sin. It's natural to us. It's like eating and sleeping. It just comes. Now, where do we get our nature from? We get our nature from birth, right? How do we become participants of that divine nature? Through birth. You see, when you were born through your biological parents, they gave you the sin nature along with a lot of other traits. They gave you the sin nature. But a time and place comes later in our life where we receive another nature. It also comes through birth. But now it's called the second birth. Uh, Some refer to it as being born again. Jesus in John chapter 3 said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because at that born again time what happens is that now we are made participants of the divine nature. And the moment that we do this sort of weird and strange ritual, it's where we acknowledge that we cannot save ourselves. We acknowledge that we are sinners. We acknowledge that we have no basis to make it to God, that all religion is futile, and we come to the end of our life, and we open up, we throw open our arms, we bow our knee, and we say, God, save me. I turn my back on how I have been living. I acknowledge that only Jesus can forgive me and wash me. Now, I join a religion. No. Now, I open up my heart and invite the presence of the living God to come inside of me and change me from the inside out. The Bible says at that moment, you are born again spiritually. Now, listen to me well. At that very moment, you are now given a new nature. This new nature is in the semblance of your new father. 
not your biological parents, but your spiritual father, God Almighty. And now suddenly you have the divine nature inside of you. Now you have the propensity to do what your new father has called you to. The problem is that you don't get rid of the old nature, so we struggle until we die with the old nature and the new nature battling inside of us. Have you felt that battle? Have you felt it? The old flesh and the new struggling inside, battling within. You say, well, pastor, when am I going to get rid of the old nature? Well, the moment your, your old nature is tied into your body. And as long as you live in this mortal, mortal flesh, you will b- battle with that old nature. The moment that you release the shell of this body, your old nature will end with that. And you will only exist in the new nature made after the image of God. And the Bible calls that glorification. You will be, you will be glorified. You will have a new nature never to struggle with sin again. But until you die, until the day you breathe your last, you will fight to you will fight the old, you will fight the flesh, the old nature, and you will respond to the new nature. And there's a battle inside of you that rages every single day. Now, Peter says you've been made participants of this new nature. I think it's important for you to understand that you have a new nature. So, you have this divine nature and you escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires because the only way that you can overcome your old nature is through the new nature. So the first point I want just to make clear is do I really have what it takes to make it? The first point that Peter makes is yeah, you do. You have the divine nature inside of you and you have all the tools you need to make it in God. That's the first question he answers. The second question he answers or or, or he addresses is this is that although you have all that it takes to live for God, it's not effortless. This is Moody Presents with Mark Job, and we'll get back to these seven faith-building characteristics. But first, have you noticed that monthly expenses have a way of showing up, well, <laughs> monthly? They never stop, do they? And those expenses need to be cared for monthly. And the same is true with this radio program. We have monthly expenses, salaries, insurance, equipment, software, hardware, licensing fees, and boy, it's a long list and it goes on. And truthfully, we rely on monthly partners to help shoulder that load. We're so grateful for those who have already made the decision to give a gift every month. That's what a monthly partner is. Hey, would you consider doing the same? It's easy to sign up, easy to become a monthly partner right now at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. Well, back to Pastor Mark Job now and the rest of his message, Do I Have What It Takes? You have to work at developing your character. Your faith must be developed if you want to be effective and productive in living for God. So although you have all the tools that you need, you have all the power you need to live that way, you have to work at altering your character with the tools that God has given you. Listen to what it says in verse 5. For this reason, make every effort. There's a word of perspiration. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Now let me pause just for a second there and say the the Apostle Peter is about to give us seven characteristics. If you learn this, I think you'll be well on your way to gaining spiritual maturity. He gives us seven characteristics that need to be built on our faith. 
Everything starts with faith. You don't have faith, you don't have anything. But it doesn't end with, end with faith. You see, what I discover is a lot of believers, they come to God, and all they have in their testimony is, I got saved in 1962. But has anything happened on your foundation? Anything ever happened since you got saved? Because faith is the beginning point, but it's not the end. It's what we build on, but now what's happened since you prayed that prayer? What's happened since you believed? Has anything been altered? Has there been any progress in your character, any transformation in your life? Because what the apostle Peter tells us, if there's not, your life is ineffective and unproductive, and no one wants to be ineffective and unproductive. Listen to what he says has to happen in our life. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. You see it? Chap- verse 5, chapter 1. So, so the next block, you have faith, now you add goodness onto it. Another word for goodness is virtue. Virtue means my devotion to excellence, my orientation towards an object that's of a higher standard than mine. Good, something that is right rather than on a comparative sliding scale. You know, on my, on my faith, I have to build the desire to be like Jesus, the desire to be good, like Jesus. If I don't have a desire to change upon my faith, then I'm not going to change. Once I believe, then I have to have this desire for virtue or goodness. I have to say, I want to be like Jesus. That's my desire. That's what I want to add to my life. So you add to your faith goodness, and to goodness you add knowledge. Now, I kind of wondered why knowledge wouldn't come right after faith, but here's my conclusion. My conclusion is that if you have no desire to become like Jesus, then knowledge, all it's going to do is puff you up and not change your life. But if you have a desire to be like Jesus, then knowledge helps you become more like Jesus. So it's sanctified knowledge. And knowledge is understanding the Word of God, understanding truths that apply to my life via the Holy Spirit so I can change. Are you tracking with me? So we have faith, now we have goodness, and on your goodness add knowledge, and on your knowledge add self-control. How many of you have ever run into people that have a lot of Bible knowledge, know a lot of words, know a lot of theology, Christian history, but are really so not like Jesus? The Pharisees knew a lot of Scripture and quote a lot of Scripture, but they were so not like Jesus. So never confuse growth in knowledge with growth in your spiritual life. Because you can grow, you, your head can grow and your heart can shrink. Oh, let me say that again. How many of you know that your head can grow, but your heart can shrink? And you'll go around like some puffed up, knowledgeable Christian spouting out verses and then angry and spiteful and self-centered to your wife and family. That's not like Jesus. So on our knowledge, our knowledge of God, we're growing in our knowledge, our knowledge to know, and then we begin to practice self-control in our life. Our body doesn't run our life. Our spirit runs our life. Our body says, let's sleep. Our spirit says, get up and worship. Our body says, you know, I have sexual urges. The spirit says, okay, fine, save that for marriage. Our body says, I want to eat that whole chocolate silk pie in that refrigerator. Our spirit says, no, you better just have one slice. 
Our, our body says, man, I want to snort a line of cocaine like I used to do years ago. It made me feel so good. Our spirit says, no, you have another high that you're getting, and now that's the high of the filling of the Holy Spirit that I want to put in your life that's a lot better and doesn't have the downside. You see, it's self-control in our life that God is, God is perpetuating. So you have faith, you had goodness, you had virtue, you had knowledge, then self-control. And with self-control, you need something really important. You need steadfastness or perseverance. Because here's the thing. Perseverance means you continue to do what's right even when it's hard to do. How many of you know you cannot just do what's right one time and expect the battle's over? You're going to have to do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Well, I just forgave him. Yeah, forgive him again. Well, I said one nice word to them last week. We'll say another one. I read a whole chapter of the Bible the first day of the year. That's great. Read another one. You see, part of maturity is doing what we should do regardless of how we feel. That is a sign of maturity. Because if your life is dictated by how you feel, then you are letting your emotions rule your life. And let me tell you, your emotions are not dependable. You think that every Sunday that you come in church, you're going to feel like, well, I really feel like worshiping God. No, sometimes you're going to feel like, I don't even want to be here. If I, have to, if I didn't have to teach in Sunday school this morning, I wouldn't be here anyways. You know what the Bible says? Offer a sacrifice of praise. You know what a sacrifice is? A sacrifice is something you do even when it's hard for you to do. You see, maturity is doing what you know is right to do over and over and over, even when it's hard to do. And then the recompense and the blessing will catch up to you. That's called perseverance. And there's no other way to maturity. James chapter 1 tells us, that, that unless you persevere, you're not going to mature. You will be an un immature person unless you learn to live above your emotions and tell your emotions, get behind me, hang on to the caboose because my engine is faith, the caboose is feelings. I will not let the caboose dictate my life. Hello. And so he says, yeah. Self-control, add perseverance, and then perseverance, add godliness. Godliness means the center of my life is God. And to godliness, add brotherly affection. That means I begin to show my earnedness and genuine kindness in all circumstances, starting with my family, spiraling out to everybody around me, and then lastly, it ends with love. My core motivation to serve God and serve other people is that they will know that I'm a believer by my love. This is a growth path to spiritual maturity. If you really want to grow, begin to pray the characteristics, the seven characteristics built on faith through 2 Peter, and you will see your life challenged to growth in this area. He says, if you do this and you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in other words, they grow, they keep growing in your life, you're not stuck, you keep growing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Ineffective means you don't do it well. Unproductive means you're not fruitful. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you do not have these characteristics, then you are nearsighted. You know what nearsighted means? It means you've got to read your book like this. You don't see things that are far off. 
and you are blind and you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from all your past. What it says is, yeah, you can be saved, but you can be saved and immature and blind and nearsighted and ungrateful because if you choose not to grow, you will be a saved, nearsighted, blind, immature individual. Listen, there's a lot of people that are saved, but they haven't gone very far from that. Peter's saying, don't go there. Grow, grow, grow. Verse 10, therefore, my brothers, anytime there's a therefore, you ask yourself, what is it? Therefore, it means he's building the teaching on the previous verses. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, listen, if you do these things, you will not fall. How do we make our calling and election sure? What does that phrase mean? It simply means if you're going in these characteristics, then you will be sure of your calling. You will say, I know I'm a child of God. And you'll be sure of your election. You won't doubt your salvation. If you're not growing, all kinds of doubt begins to sip into your mind. Am I really saved? Maybe I'm not. Maybe I thought I was, but wasn't. Maybe I prayed a prayer, but I didn't really mean it. Maybe I was just an emotional thing, and I'm not sure. Am I in? Am I out? Am I a believer? Am I not a believer? Whoa, I'm really confused. Maybe I need to get saved again. You know who that happens to? It happens to people that aren't growing in their character. Because you lack character, you lack assurance. You lack growth, you lack assurance. If you're growing, you will have assurance. Assurance is always the byproduct of someone that's earnestly seeking God. We lose assurance oftentimes when we stop growing and stop being earnest and seeking God with all our heart. That's why I run into a lot of believers that they prayed a prayer, they got baptized, but you know what? They really don't know where they stand with God because it's a sure indication that you've stopped growing. You lose your confidence when you lose your growth. You gain confidence when you continue to grow. The inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And so he ends up by really telling us this, that in the end, if we're going to continue to grow in God and continue to progress, that we must find an internal motivation to continue to pursue our calling so we will not fall. If we continue to grow in these areas, he said, you will never fall. You're not going to fall. Now, that doesn't mean you're never going to sin, but there's a difference between sinning and falling. How about it? Sinning means I sin. Falling means I start going down a pathway downwards and keep spiraling downwards until I hit the bottom and then wake up and say, how did I get here? There's a big difference between going that way and between sinning and repenting and dealing with it right away. That's called falling. Everybody's going to sin, and even as a believer, you're going to sin. You're not sinless. You'll just sin less if you know the Lord. But guarantee, listen to me, you will sin. It's just going to happen. Why? It's part of your nature. But you have a new nature that's going to cause you to sin less as you live more holy in God. And you need to know what to do with the sin. Repent of it. Turn around from it. Continue to grow in God. And here's the motivation. The motivation is that if you continue to grow, you'll be effective and productive, and secondly, and you're not going to fall, and then it ends this uh, section in verse 11, and it says, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's a promise for this day and for eternal life. Some people say, well, I just hope I'm going to make it in by the skin of my teeth. And I just, you know, no, no, no. I, I want to receive a rich welcome. I love those words. A rich welcome. A rich welcome because of the Father. Pastor Mark Job here on Moody Presents. Think of it. In Christ, we have a new nature. Christ's divine power available to everyone who chooses to connect and grow in Him. That's awesome. Hey, quick question. Where are you in all of this? We're talking about bullseye living, and yet maybe you feel like you're not even close to the target. You've reached bottom. Here's the thing. Only you know the truth deep inside. Maybe you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your wrongdoing. The Bible word for all that junk is sin. But Jesus can wipe your slate clean, help you turn away from that stuff and live for Him. Now that's bullseye living. But it begins with you admitting you've blown it, asking Christ to come in and take the keys of your life so He can run it His way. Pray with me if you'd like to invite Jesus to be your Savior right now. Lord, I've blown it. I'm a sinner, and I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my wrongdoing. Would you please forgive me? Help me turn away from this stuff, Lord, and be in charge of my life from this day forward. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer or you'd like further help, why not head to moodypresents.org and look at the top right-hand corner for a button you can click called How to Know Christ. That's moodypresents.org. Next time, we're going to pick up with our series called Bullseye Living, Staying on Target with God, and Mark will answer the question, can I really trust the Bible? Spoiler alert, you can. I'm John Geiger, and this is Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.